Welcome to the Living Faith Fellowship Conference podcast. The Living Faith Fellowship is a peer network of like-minded churches united under a single biblical authority and one common mission. You're about to hear a message from one of the many conferences hosted by the Living Faith Fellowship every year. We pray it's a blessing. Sisters, welcome Joe McCaig. Am I good? I'm good. All right. Good evening. Uh, it's, uh, it's a real honor uh, for me to be here. It really, really is. I, I'm, I'm blown away and, and I'm privileged. Uh, I'm, I'm thrilled to spend New Year's with you. Uh, what an awesome, awesome place this is. And I'm always encouraged when I come here. 13 months ago, uh, I sat right over there on a Tuesday night. And uh, I would be remiss not to... to stand before you tonight and to thank you and give glory to God uh, for your prayers for my wife and I as we were here that night. Uh, We were facing uh, the greatest transition of our lives, a huge uh, transition in our lives. And you guys prayed for us. And uh, I'm here to tell you tonight that we serve a mighty God who answers prayer. And uh, when I got here, Brandon, one of the, the first thing I think Brandon said to me is, we're praying for you. We've prayed for you. And I I told him, God's answered those prayers miraculously, answered those prayers. Andrew told me, we've prayed for you. And you know, a lot of people tell you they pray for you and you go, yeah, okay, thanks. But I believe it when you tell me you prayed for me. And I know you prayed for me that night. And and I'm here to tell you tonight, uh, thank you for praying for me and glory be to God, uh, the God who answers prayers. Uh, The God who could do things that no man can do. The God who has done things over the last 13 months that no man could do. We were facing transitioning three churches, and God has made healthy transitions in all of three of those. I'm not going to give you all the details, and it certainly hasn't been without issue or difficulty. And there are still issues and difficulty because it's still the church, right? And we still have issues. And Lynn, keep praying. We still need those prayers. But I'll promise you, I, I could tell you things tonight that God has done that are absolute miracles of God. Uh, And I'm grateful to you for your prayers. I'm most grateful as I know you are to him uh, for his power and and his answer to those prayers. And so just thank you, Midtown. You guys are a blessing uh, to me and an encouragement to my heart. Every time I'm around you, uh, I hear from you. Your pastor is a pastor of pastors and just a blessing to to everyone who meets him and and, uh, a constant encouragement in my life. So thank you so much for that. I want to tell you tonight that uh, there, there are some rules to public speaking. I'm not real good with them, uh, but I'm going to help you with them, okay? So one of them is, is, is know who is, is speaking before you. Know who you're following. And, and when, when you find out that it's Mark Trotter and Brian Clark, <laughs> decline, okay? Uh, that, that's the best course of action. Just, you know, get sick, do something, right? Uh, you know, I've, I've tried to figure that out this week and hadn't been able to get out of it. Uh, so here I am. So uh, I, I am excited to be here. And I do think God has something to say to us. I, 
I know God has something to say to us tonight. God has a message to communicate. And, and these guys are, are awesome men of God. I, I love Pastor uh, Trotter. He's been a blessing in my life for, for many years. I've, I've heard Sam say it over and over again. We are rich in our fellowship. Man, we are rich. Uh, we have some awesome ministers and, and, uh, of the Word of God and godly men. And Brian Clark has been a blessing in my life so, for so long and, and such an encouragement to me. And, and tonight, I think, you know, what God has me here for is just to encourage you to take what God has done over the last few days and allow him to take that and make that the vision of your life. And, and, I, and I, I, I wanna make sure that we understand. You know, my tendency is to come to something like this and, to, and it has been unique. I, I think it's been unique this weekend. It's, it's something that's been unique and, and God has spoken and God has moved and he's encouraged my heart. I haven't been able to be here in the evenings. I've been over at Harvest, but uh, it's been a, a, an amazing move of God as he's spoken to my heart in the morning sessions and, and there at Harvest. And I know he's done that here. My tendency is to say, okay, wow, God, you did this awesome move. Now I'm going to go home and I'm just going to get busy and I'm going to take care of all that. And I'm here to tell you tonight, that's a mistake. That's a mistake. Because God doesn't really need me to take care of all that. But what God needs me to do is, is to stop and allow him to take what he's done. And allow that to become a burden in my life. Because a vision that isn't birthed out of burden will be short-lived. You believe that? We're not going to go far with that. We, we need God to birth that. So the, the, the premise that I'm going to go from tonight is he needs to take our sight. He needs to take my physical sight away from me so he can give me a vision. We're going to see an example of that in a minute. But the, the Apostle Paul said to the, the churches at Galatia, the Holy Spirit of God said this. I, I wouldn't talk to, you, to us like this, but, but the Holy Spirit of God seems to feel like he can. He asked the Galatian churches, are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect in the flesh? And that's kind of what I'm, I'm coming from tonight. Can we, can we somehow, God began this work here over these few days in the spirit and he's spoken into our lives. Can we now go out and perfect that in the flesh? Can we even go out and accomplish that in the flesh? And, and, and the answer is, yes, we are so foolish, but no, it can't be done. And my encouragement to us is to take the things that that God has spoken to us and, and allow those things to become a vision that would drive us, not only through 2020, uh, but throughout the next decade until the, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, that we would live these things out, but live them out from a, a perspective of vision. Again, my sight is me seeing what I can do from God, for God, and, and God doesn't need me to do anything for him. God's not really interested in what I can do for him. God's interested in what he can do through me and anything beside that really is just wasted time amen we're going into a new year we're going into a new decade I appreciate my brothers as they prayed tonight saying no pressure but you're going to set the precedent for the next decade uh, I'm grateful to know that that's not true I, I'm not doing that you know there's a there's a lady that was born in North Alabama. She's famous there and in most places. Her name's Helen Keller. Born healthy, but at about two years of age, she contracts a disease and, and she ends up deaf and blind. Can you imagine? I mean, one would be tough, but to be deaf and blind. 
And she's resilient and she learns sign language and, and, and you, know, you know her life most likely. Ann Sullivan teaches her. She becomes a college graduate, the first only, or the first, excuse me, deaf and blind person to graduate from, from college. And she, she makes a statement that I, I think is pertinent to what we're talking about tonight. She, she says, the only thing worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. And that's true physically, but that's also true spiritually. You know, the only thing worse than, than being blind is to have sight, but to have no vision, to, to have no vision of what God wants to do in our lives. And so tonight I want us to, to consider a, a man named Saul who becomes the Apostle Paul. Uh, but, but before he's the Apostle Paul, he's, he's a man named Saul, and, and he has an experience. It's a salvation experience, but, but I want us to look at it from our perspective tonight. He's on the road to Damascus, and, and, and Saul is a religious guy, right? We know that about him. He, his own testimony is that he's a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's, he's of the, the tribe of Benjamin. He's, he's a religious guy. And, and if you were to talk to Saul at that point in his life, when he's there and they're throwing rocks at Stephen, they put their coats at his feet. If you ask Saul, man, what are you doing? He would say serving God. He would have said, I'm serving God. He was doing what he could do for God. But obviously, he wasn't doing the right thing. And you might say, well, come on, Joe. Saul was a lost guy. And we're believers. Can I suggest to you tonight that the self-derived vision of a saved man is no better than the self-derived vision of a lost man? Me, me doing what I can do for God is no better than what a lost man can do. Because I'm not functioning in the power of the Spirit. I'm, I'm functioning in the, the power of my flesh. I'm doing what I can do for God. Not what God, not allowing God to do what he can do through me. And so if you want to look at Acts chapter 9, I want us just to, to take a minute uh, and, and look at this experience in, in Paul's life and, and what God does in his life. See if we can just glean a few things that maybe we could apply to our lives tonight. And over the next few days, I, I really would, uh, again, encourage you to take, it's going to take time. It's going to take time to allow God to birth that in you, and, and we'll see that as we go along. Let me just read the story. It's from Acts chapter 9. I'm going to start in verse number 3. I, I think most of us are familiar, but, but let's re-familiarize ourselves with it. And as he journeyed, he came near to Damascus, and suddenly there shined light about him uh, from heaven. And he fell to the earth, and he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what would thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. Saul rose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. They led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither did he eat or drink. And so Saul's persecuting the church. He's been in Jerusalem. He's consenting to the death of Stephen. The persecution so great that the Christians have fled from Jerusalem. And, and man, Saul's a committed dude. He's, he's leaving Jerusalem now in pursuit of these Christians that he's persecuting. He's going to Damascus and, and he's going to bring them back. He's going to imprison them. But while he's on the way there to arrest Christians, God arrests him. And God stops him on the road to Damascus, and, and God knocks him to the ground, and, 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 and Saul says, who are you? And can you imagine? Can you imagine? 
the response when he hears, I'm Jesus. I'm the one you've been persecuting. It so strikes him that he's, he's astonished, he's trembling. Because he just figured out, I thought I was working in concert with God, but I just found out I'm working in conflict with God. And again, I think sometimes we would say, you know, yeah, that's, that's him, but that's not me. But, but I think it's important that we realize that anything I do in my flesh is in conflict with God. It doesn't have to be an awful, heinous thing. Anything I attempt to do for God on my own, if I'm out serving in the power of my flesh, if I'm doing it in my power and for my glory, then it's in conflict with God. It is in opposition to him. You know, that we probably tonight, many times in our lives, should be astonished and trembling, figuring out that we've been working in conflict with God. I don't want to give your testimony, but, but I would give my testimony tonight to say that that's the biggest battle of my life, is to ensure that, that, that my, my service to God is done in his power and for his glory, not in my power and for my glory. I don't, I don't know, maybe you don't struggle with that. I struggle with that. I, I battle with that. God gets... Saul's attention. He's trembling and he's astonished. And, and the first step in this process of allowing what, what God has taught us over these few days to become truly a, a God-given burden and a vision is to ask the right question. And Saul asked that question, Lord, what would thou have me to do? And again, man, I'm a simple guy and that's a, that's a simple understanding of that text, but but I think it's a powerful question that we all need to stop and be willing to ask. Lord, what would thou have me to do? God, what do you want for my life? We live in a crazy culture. We live in a culture that is constantly on the move. We rarely slow down enough to stop and say, God, what do you want for my life? God, what would you have me to do? God, what is your vision? Birth that within me. You don't need to go out from here and, and, and carry out someone else's vision. Now, we're going to see in a moment that the vision is pretty consistent, but that vision needs to be birthed in us from the God of the universe. We need to know that as we're going forth from this place to live out what we've been taught, and I'm not discouraging living in obedience to the truth, but I'm saying we need to live in obedience to God, doing that in the power of the flesh, ultimately... The goal is surrender. My, I've got to come to the place that I realize that my efforts are counterproductive. I'm to surrender to God and allow him to live through me. And, and that really is the issue of that question, isn't it? Lord, what would you have me to do? Just acknowledging that he is Lord. And this life is not my own. In fact, I don't like this, but coming to the realization that there's nothing good about me. It's offensive to me what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. I know that in me, that is in my flesh, 
There is no good thing. I struggle with that. How about you? I mean, I kind of think I got some redemptive. I'm a pretty good guy. Sam said nice things about me. I'm all right. We, we kind of think that way, don't we? We think we're, we have some redemptive value, but the truth of it is the word of God says no. There's nothing good about me. I have no redemptive value. The only thing good is Christ in me. And, and the goal of our lives is to, to stop and say, Lord, you're in control. You take this body. We just sang it, right? I love the song that you just sang. Lord, take me, use me. I recognize that there's nothing that I have to offer. Take this body and use it as a vessel. There's, there's a multitude of scriptures. I love how Paul talks about it to the, to the church at Corinth, 2 Corinthians. He says, we know that Christ died for all because well, all were dead. And we that live should not henceforth live into ourselves, but into him that died for us. When he, when he writes to the, the church at Rome and he gives that incredible doctrinal thesis and, and he talks about the hopelessness of man, you read those first few chapters and man, it just, it takes you away hopeless, realizing the condition of mankind. And then he, he comes and talks about imputed righteousness through Christ and what Christ did for us on the cross. And then in chapter 12, he says, now, in light of all of that, offer your bodies a living sacrifice. Colossians chapter three, for you are dead. And your life is hid with God in Christ. Your life is hid with Christ in God, excuse me. You know, up to this point, and, and listen, I fear that a lot of us live like this. Up to this point, Saul's doing what he can do for God. He's, he's, he's living by sight. He's living his own vision. He, he's living by what he thinks he can do for God. But God stops him on the road to Damascus and and, and knocks him down. And, and I'm kind of encouraging us to let God do that to us so that he can give us vision. So that he can birth within us a vision that would carry us into not only a new year, but a new decade, literally through the rest of our lives. Time is wasting, isn't it? You know, I, I bought the book. 88 Reasons Christ is Coming in 1988. <laughs> I realize most of you weren't even alive then. I, I can't believe it's 2020. And he's not here yet. But he's coming. And this is profound. It's closer now than it's ever been. <laughs> right? I got less time now. I don't want to waste any. I don't want to live another day doing it my way. Lord, what would thou have me to do? I'm surrendered to your lordship. You know, and the crazy thing is, is, is Saul, he's, he's laying there, you know, in a heap, trembling and astonished. The audible voice of God is speaking from heaven. It's gotta be surreal. Lord, what would thou have me to do? And you gotta believe he's thinking, man, the next thing that's coming is some incredible instruction from God. Here it is, arise, go into the city and it shall be told thee what thou must do. <laughs> In effect, God says, wait, just wait. Just wait on me. God ever tell you to wait? 
Well, the waiting is the hardest part, right? It is the hardest part. God's speaking to him, and, and that's what he gets from God is, wait on me. And, you know, I, again, I've done this for a minute, and, and I've seen it happen time and time again. It's happened in my own life. It, we surrender to the Lordship, right? Okay, God, I give. I'll do whatever you say. Okay. Just wait on me. Just wait on me. I remember when I'd been serving for about 15 years in Decatur Baptist Church as a youth pastor and God had begun to work in my heart and he'd really shown me in his word that I was to step out from that position and take on a lead pastor role and, and, and I wasn't sure where that was. I just knew God was telling me to do that and, and uh, I began to talk about that and, and began to communicate that and uh, amen, uh, nothing was happening. Uh, and, and so it's, it's, it's a pretty good period of time, but then I, our pastor of the church at that time uh, asked me, you know, you need to just let the church know. So I got up on, a, uh, on an evening like, kind of like this at a uh, missions conference, at the end of the missions conference, and I, I shared with the church, man, this is what God's doing in my heart, and uh, this is what God's shown me. I showed him from the word how he had led me, and, and God's going God's to put me in another place, and, and man, pray for us, and we don't know where we're going, but, but God's going to do that. Six months later. You still here? <laughs> I, thought, I, thought, I thought you were going somewhere. Yeah, me too. God just said, wait. And, and, and let, me, let me encourage you tonight that the period of the waiting, how long that lasts is determined by you. Because what God's looking for is a death. He's looking for a willingness to surrender to his lordship. He's, he's looking for us to be willing to allow him to truly be Lord. I love Isaiah, and I didn't put this in, in the PowerPoint. Uh, Isaiah chapter 40, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Here's the thing, if I don't wait upon the Lord, if I don't do it in his strength, what's gonna to happen to me is I'm gonna grow weary. I can't fulfill this in my own sight. I've gotta do it from God's vision. And when I go out to accomplish God's work on my own, it's gonna be short-lived because I'm gonna grow weary in well-doing. Jesus told his disciples in Acts chapter one, he's about to ascend back to the Father and he sends them back into Jerusalem and he tells them to wait on the promise of the Father. You've gotta wait on me. When, when Jesus is overlooking the city, as he's coming in Matthew chapter 9, back into the city of Jerusalem, and he, he looks over the city, and he, and he gives that, that text of where he sees the people as sheep having no shepherd, and he weeps over the city, and he says, the, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. He, he recognizes the issue, and he's got his disciples around him, and, and what he says to him is, hey guys, you guys get down there in that city and get busy. That's what he said, right? No, that's not what he said. What'd he say? You need to go pray. Go pray the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. I, the, the thing I want us to see is this. God's not interested in what I can do for him. He's not interested in me going out and doing it on my own. He wants to do it through me. Notice with, with, with Saul, the, the thing that he does is he's, he's told to wait three days. That's a, obviously a key phrase in the scriptures, right? 
It speaks of the power of the resurrection. And that, that's what I mean a moment ago when I was talking about what, what God's looking for. How long does this last? How long does it take? As long as it takes for me to die to myself. Because there can't be a resurrection until there's a death. And God wants me to go in the power of the resurrection. God can't use me until I'm surrendered to him. You know, I've recognized something. God's never had anybody who was too weak for him to use them. But he has had many who were too strong. He's never had anyone who was too weak. But, but there have been many who were too strong for God to use them. And what God's looking for is us to humble ourselves. To surrender to him. To die to ourselves. So, we want to let God take our sight and give us vision. It involves asking the right questions, submitting to the process, being willing to wait on God. And, and then the third thing, this is interesting to me, it's just a willingness to follow leadership. And you have an awesome pastoral staff here in this church, an awesome group of elders and leaders in this body. Amen? You do. You know, I think sometimes it's hard for us when we're, we're in the midst of it to see how awesome what God is doing, you know? How awesome the, the leadership team that God has assembled. But you have an awesome one here. And one of the key aspects of allowing God to, to birth a vision in us that would carry us is to follow the leadership that he's given us in our lives. It's amazing to me, and I'm not gonna take the time to read the story. Uh, you're familiar with it, I think, but as you go on into the story, remember he tells him to go into the city, it's gonna be told you what you should do. And, and then God's working on the other end with this guy, Ananias. And we don't know much about Ananias. We know he's a disciple, he's a, he's a devout man, he's a, a friend of the, the Jews there in Damascus. We, we know those things about him, but that's about all we know. But, but well, we know this also, there wouldn't have been an Apostle Paul without an Ananias, right? And God speaks to Ananias and he says, hey, uh, there's this, this, this guy, uh, his name's Saul, and he's praying over there and he's looking for someone to come and, and you're going to be the guy. And, and Ananias, you know, like many of us said, hmm, I, I don't, you know, Lord, I don't know. Have you heard about that guy? He, he's, he's not a good guy. And what God does then is he reveals the vision for the apostle Paul's life to Ananias before he reveals it to the Apostle Paul. Well, it seems like there's a concept here, huh? God's talking to the leadership, and so what we can do is, is follow that leadership, allow God to, to lead us through the leadership of our church. And you know, When you start thinking you know more than your leaders, you're functioning from sight, not vision. When you start thinking, and listen, this happens, it happens to all of us, right? We, we get to that teenage stage of spiritual maturity and we begin to think our parents don't know anything. But the people that God has put in our lives as spiritual leaders, they, they, they know more than we do. And God will communicate that vision to them even before he will communicate it to you. When we think we know more, we're in the young man stage and, and I would counsel you to be sober-minded. Listen to the leaders that God's put in here. You know, you know what? Here's what I found over 30 years of, of ministry experience. You'll never go wrong submitting to leadership. Is God big enough to handle leadership? 
I, I pastored students for a long time, and, 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 and students sometimes would have parents who were in opposition maybe even to, to what we were doing as a ministry or, or even maybe what God was doing in a student's life. And, and I always encouraged, just obey your parents. God will take care of it. He can handle it. He's big enough. When, when I got time for me to, to, to transition out of Decatur Baptist Church years ago, I, I went to my pastor and said, I submit to you. God's called me to go pastor a church, but I don't want to just go. I want to be sent. And so I submit to you. You'll, you have veto power over anything. You really, you, wow, Joe, you must have really trusted your pastor. I did, but I trusted God more. And I know when I obey him, well, he's got my back. I don't have to worry about that, right? He can handle it. He's big enough. So, you know, it, it, it's simple, but it's not easy. Submit to the Lordship of Christ. Ask the right question. Lord, what would you have me to do? Then be willing to wait on God. And listen, that process of waiting isn't just sitting around doing nothing, right? You know, I've met a lot of people who were going to win the world. They just couldn't minister to the local church. Right? I, I stuck this meme in here. I don't know if they even get back to it, but you've seen it you know, all year long with this woman and this cat. You know? right? That's my favorite one, right? You know, I want to go on a mission trip. You won't even serve in the nursery. Shut up. If, if we're not willing to wait on God and, and serve in the local ministry, what do we, come on, come on. God wants to take the things that, that he's done in your life over the last, you got to get that off the screen. Uh, <laughs> over these last days, he, he wants to take those things and, and, and not for us to go out of here and you know, I, I was in the morning sessions and, and hearing uh, about Discovery Bible Study and, and creation to Christ. And, and, and man, you know, my tendency is, man, I'm going to run out. I'm going to do that. I even sent myself an email today. That's what you have to do when you get old. You have to send yourself emails to remind yourself of ideas of how I can do this. And I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't do this. We should do this. But we should do this birthed out of a, a burden and a vision that God's placed within us. And that's going to require some time alone with God. Allowing him to birth that within us. And, and, and you know, and, and as, we, as we realize what that vision is, it makes it even more clear why it has to be something that God's birthed within us. Because God wants to do something so big there's no way that we would even attempt it, right? I mean, when, when, when Saul is, is, is losing his, he's lost his sight, and God births a vision with him, he, he, he gives him five things. And I want to give you those five things because there, there, is some, there are some principles to the vision of the New Testament. There's some consistency here, right? There is a common vision in the New Testament. And it's the vision that, that God gave to Saul, the Apostle Paul, on the road to Damascus. And he reiterates that in Acts 26 when he's called before King Agrippa. And he begins to talk about what God has called him to do. And so there's five points to it. I'm going to hit those five points really, really quickly. Uh, but, but, but I think that when we see them, we'll, we'll recognize that, man, there's, there's no way that I could fulfill that, that I could carry that out. And so Acts 26, uh, Paul's before Agrippa, as I said, and he's rehearsing this thing. He's giving his testimony. And he says, verse 16, Jesus 
speaking to Paul, but Paul's reiterating it to Agrippa. But rise and stand up on thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of the things which thou hast seen and those things uh, in which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles and to whom I will send thee. Now, here it is, verse 18, to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among them which are sanctified by by faith that is in me. Just, just five things really quickly. He says, this is the common vision. This is the vision that, that God's given to us. This is what we're to, to go out and to do. We're to open the eyes of the lost. That's what God's called us to do. I, I love what Dan, I don't know if he's in here tonight, but Dan was sharing this morning. We, we live in a world that's blind to their need. They don't even understand what they need. They, they can't see that they have a need and they certainly can't see the solution. And God's commission to us is to open their eyes to that. And, and I know that I'm incapable of doing that, but God can do that through me. You know, I, I grew up in the South. I, I was raised in the church. Uh, my, my parents, man, we, we were in church every, every Sunday, every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night. And you know, we kind of live in, in a culture where, you know, it's, it's turn or burn, right? You know, I'm gonna give you one shot at the gospel and you know, they didn't want it anyway and move on. Well, that's not the vision, right? That's just arrogancy. Uh, the vision is to open the eyes. And I can't do that. Only God can do that, but God can do that through me. And that's going to require a process of time. That's going to require helping someone to see not only they, that they have a need, but, but they, there's a solution to their need. They, they don't even know that they have a need. And God's commissioned us to open their eyes so they could see the need. You know, the, the, the reason that, man, I, again, minister in the Bible Belt, half my whole life, a lot of Sundays I stand in church completely terrified that there's a lot of people sitting there listening to me who are going to die and go to hell because they never got lost. It's not hard to get people saved. It's hard to get them lost. If I can get them lost, I can get them saved. What we say there is there's a lot of people who are inoculated to the gospel. They got just enough to keep them from getting the real thing. We've got to open their eyes. And again, I, I can't do that. God's, God's got to do that through me. And there's an incredible story that we don't have time to talk about in John chapter 9 that, that Jesus Jesus did that, right? And, and he did it in a unique way. He, he, he makes mud and rubs it in the guy's eyes. That, that wouldn't have been the method I would have chosen. Uh, but that's what he did. And he, and he told him to go to the pool of Shalom and, and to wash. And, and, and he said that's interpreted scent. And, and let me just quickly say, what I, what, what I get from that is this man was born blind like all of us. He's talking about a lost man, and, and the Word of God brings conviction like that mud is an irritant, but he wants a sent one to go to them and, and wash that for them to help them to gain their sight. We're that sent one. We're the sent ones. Jesus sent, God sent Jesus into the world, and, and then he sends us into the world, and Romans 10 tells us that's, that's, that's what he's called us to do. So that we would open the eyes of the blind. The, the second thing is that we would turn them from darkness to light. Yeah, it's amazing. The Bible tells us that men love darkness rather than light. 
That's the condition of the world. But, but God sends us into the world to, to turn them from darkness to light. And, and, and Jesus told us that he is the light of the world, but there's coming a time when, when he would leave the world. And, and, and absolutely he did that. Acts chapter 1, verse 9, he ascends back to the Father. And, and so he's gone from the world, and it became nighttime. And for the last 2,000 years, it's been nighttime. And the only light in the world is, is us reflecting the light of the sun. Not you know, Job first book chronological in the Bible tells us that the, the moon has no light of its own. It reflects the light of the sun. And the reason it's so important that I don't go out and function in the flesh and do what I can do for God. I, I'm not operating from my sight, but I'm operating from a position of vision. It's so that I'm reflecting the light of the sun to a world that's desperate for light. I, I can't do that on my own. And, and again, I I'm not going to take time, but there's some incredible things in, in creation that illustrate the need for that. If, you know, a, a lunar eclipse or a solar eclipse, and when we get in the way, we get worldly, we let the world get between us and God, then the, the, the light goes out. Or, or when we get in the flesh and we're going to function in our own power, then we're not reflecting the light anymore. We're to be the light of the world. We're to turn them from darkness to light, to turn them from the power of Satan unto God. Pastor Sam was sharing with us the other morning about the, the book, Praying for the Lost, and, and the portion of that book that, that talks about binding the strong man. Uh, again, it's evident that we can't do that. I, I can't do that on my own. I can't do that in my strength. I don't know, if, if Michael the archangel is not going to attempt that, then I, I certainly need to back off. But God can do that through us. He wants to do bigger and greater things. If I will surrender to him and allow him to take these things that, that God's given us to do and, and him to work them through us, then, man, he can certainly do that. The world is in, in, in a desperate place because it's been taken captive by the will of Satan, the God of this world. And God's left us here to turn them from darkness to light, that they could receive the forgiveness of sins. Is it, again, I, Dan's, you know, I, I thought about this this morning, Dan, as you were sharing. That's the fourth, that's the fourth thing in the vision. I, I told you, my tendency is that's, that's the first place I go. Let, let's talk about this forgiveness of sins thing. Turn or burn. That's a pretty far ways down the line from the things that God's told us to do. Open their eyes. Turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God. Now let's talk about the forgiveness of those sins. And the issue is that God wants to restore that relationship. That's what God's given us to do. It's a consistent vision, but it's not something that I can accomplish in my own ability, in my flesh. And the, the, the last thing he says is so that they, could have an, that they could receive an inheritance. And the way he says this, an inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. God wants not only, not only that they would come to Christ, but they would receive an inheritance among the saints. He wants us to, to, to bring them into a fellowship and bring them into a family. And they would recognize that in this family, this family of God, this restored relationship that we have, there's an inheritance for us. They would have this fellowship together. That, that's a consistent New Testament vision. It's the vision that when, when God stopped Saul on the road to Damascus, that's the vision that he communicated to him. And I would suggest to you tonight, that's the vision he wants to communicate to us. It's a consistent vision. 
And God's going to express it in many different ways. We've heard it said a thousand times, the Great Commission, there's no exemptions or exceptions. We're all called to fulfill the Great Commission in the context of a local church, but we all have our personal responsibility in that. We can't can't rest on what everyone else is doing. God wants to, to birth that kind of vision in each and every one of us and it's going to be expressed in a multitude of different ways. I, I love the fact that you have the Bible studies that are on the college campuses and in different areas. And some are ministering to children and some are ministering to adults in different places and different ways and going to Vietnam. And God's going to give us different places and different ways to express it. But it's all going to be about those five things. God might have you feeding the hungry, but he's, feeding you, he's having you feeding the hungry to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God. That they could receive the forgiveness of sins and have an inheritance. It's a consistent vision, but it's a vision that God has to birth within us. It's got to get from our heads to our hearts. It has to be something that truly is a burden. And the only one who can birth a burden is God. And that requires... That requires me being willing to humble myself before him. And truly say, Lord, what would you have me to do? And proving that I'm willing to wait and surrender and and say, you know what, God? Whatever you you want. You know, I I didn't finish my story a minute ago. I'm terrible about that. That happens when you get old, too. (laughs) You know, I struggled through that, and I, I waited, and months later, I didn't have a place to go, and People were starting to say, you know, I don't know about this Joe guy. They hired my replacement. You know what's bad then? I woke up on a Wednesday morning. And I told God, I'm done. I'm not done with you. But I'm done with looking for a job. I said, I'll never send another resume in my life. If you want me, come get me. You called me, come get me. But I'm done. I'm perfectly content to stay right here or go wherever you say. Wednesday night, about eight o'clock, my phone rang. A guy from Oakland Heights Baptist Church called me and said, hey, we're not really sure, but somehow your resume, we, I don't know, but we just found it. And we thought we'd call you. And he goes through a series of questions, and I was an absolute jerk. Hey, we were wondering if, if you'd come over and preach sometime. No. Well, maybe you could, no. Well, we'd like to hear you preach. How can we hear you? I preach to students every Sunday morning. You're welcome to come. And I'm not recommending you do that. <laughs> this is not the best way to get a job. That's how done I was with the process. Three months later, I was pastoring at that church. It could have happened a lot quicker, but Joe was resistant to surrender. Joe kept trying to fulfill his vision rather than surrendering to God's. And just saying, you know what, handle it, God. And whatever you come up with is good with me. You know, there is, a, there, there is a people factor because that's what it's all about, right? 
God has a people for you to minister to, but I just want to say one thing about this and, and we'll be done. Desire doesn't equal a calling, right? I mean, Paul is an example of that, right? I mean, we know Romans where Paul says, man, my heart's desire is, is for my kinsmen according to the flesh. He said, I, I could wish myself accursed. He, he's saying, if it were possible, and, and, and Paul knew it wasn't possible, but he's saying if it were possible, I, I, I could wish that I could go to hell if they would be redeemed. I mean, that's a heart for a people. And God said, that's awesome. You go to the Gentiles. God has a people for you to minister to, but, but it's not always your natural desire. If you hadn't figured it out by, night, by now, this is not the place where I would have put myself. I, I wouldn't have put myself standing up and talking in front of people. The first time I walked into Decatur Baptist Church, I, I broke out into a sweat just being in the building because of the crowd of people. God's not interested in what you can do for him. He wants to do what only he can do through you. And that may have absolutely nothing to do with your natural talents and abilities. It may be all about the gifting that God's put within you. In fact, it will be. But in order to get there, I'm going to have to lose my sight. I'm going to have to quit seeing things from my perspective and, and, and functioning as I see things. I'm going to have to get along with God and get a vision from him and see things as he sees them. You know what I love about Paul? That he's before Agrippa in Acts 26. He's, he's nearing the end of his life. This is not 15 minutes after the vision or 15 years. This is the end of his life. And his testimony to Agrippa is, Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. How awesome is that? Paul's at the end of his life and he says, you know what, King, I just want you to know. I've been obedient to what God told me. This is a vision that didn't just sustain me for a little while. It wasn't a year or two or even five or six. It, it drove the remainder of my life. So much so that when he writes to Timothy, he says, I, I'm ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I kept the faith. If God had a course for the Apostle Paul's life, he has a course for yours. Amen. He has a course for your life. It's going to involve those five things. But it's a specific course. I want to finish mine. I want to finish mine. I want to end well. I want to finish the course that God gave me. Stand before him one day when I realize what all he's done for me and know that I, I wasn't disobedient to the vision. How about you? How about you? You want to live that out? Tonight, I, I just want to encourage us. And you've, you're here, you've, you, you've spent the holiday hearing from God some incredible things. 
That's awesome. Let's don't waste it. Let's don't waste it. Let's purposefully spend some time now. Maybe like, maybe like Saul, three days and three nights is enough for you. Lose your sight. Don't eat or drink. And ask God to birth a vision in you that will drive the rest of your life. And one day when you come to the end, you can say, I finished. Lord, I finished. I'm ready. I hope that's your passion. Let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. We're grateful tonight that you love us. We're grateful tonight that we don't have to, to carry a weight, a burden of accomplishing your mission, your vision on our own, but you can do it through us if we will but surrender. So tonight, Father, I pray you'd help us to, to still ourselves before you, to, to sincerely and seriously ask the question, Lord, what would you have me to do? Truly surrendered to your Lordship. Father, may we be willing to, to wait. May we be willing to, to take the time to allow you to, to put our flesh to death, that your spirit could take the words of God and crucify us so that you can live through us. May we be willing to submit to leadership and, and allow you to take that vision and birth it within us that it might sustain us throughout all the days of our lives. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're interested in learning more about the Living Faith Fellowship, visit lffellowship.com. God bless.